if it is your first time, we've been in a series called Bible Basics. And what we've been doing in this series is learning how we can have confidence in God's Word. Not just do we believe the Bible, but why do we believe the Bible? I've been bringing a Bible every week, uh, just telling you a little bit about it. This one's kind of special to me. It was brought a little guy this time. I started with, it, with that big mamma jamma. I got this little guy here. Um, and uh, this was special to me. It was given to me by a mentor of mine. And, uh, you know, this was kind of, this is what, you, if you wanted to carry the Bible with you, like this was how you carried the Bible. Uh, like there's smaller New Testaments. This is the, the, the whole Bible. Now I can carry it in your phone. But so this is the Bible I want to tell you about today. But it doesn't just matter, do you believe this? I want to help you understand why you believe this. Because the truth is, this book can't change your life until you trust it. This has the power to change your life. But if you don't trust it, if you don't have confidence in it, it won't change your life until you do. So I've been trying to help you, help you see this, and we've been looking at foundational truths. I won't recap everything, but we've, we've talked about a lot of different things. We've talked about the authority of Scripture. We've talked about the inerrancy of Scripture. We've talked about how God's Word, it's inspired, meaning it wasn't written by human authors. It's not of human origin, but God moved on human writers by the Holy Spirit. They wrote the Word of God. And what that means is that their perspectives uh, come through, their personalities come through, and that that's even God-ordained. 2 Timothy 3.16, we looked at this as one of the primary verses of Scripture. It says that all of Scripture is inspired. All of Scripture is God-breathed. It's helpful. It's useful for teaching us what's wrong and correcting us in the ways that are right. It helps us know how to live. That, that means all of Scripture includes the genealogies. Can you believe that? Even that is intentional. I've actually preached on the genealogies before. I did it one Christmas called the family tree. I don't know if anybody remembers that. Google it. It'll bless your life. But it's all inspired and We've also talked about how the, the things in this book has to be taken together. You can't just like pick and choose. I'm going to, I like this part. I, I don't like this part. But you got to take it, hold it together. And then within this, I've, I tried to look to some of the conflicts, challenges that people have. Not putting down people that have some doubts. In fact, if you're here and you have doubts, this is the place to be. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're engaging with Scripture and God's Word and church community. But, you know, people have questions around Scripture. Like, you know, are there conflicts in the Bible? Can we trust the manuscripts that we have? How do we know that they're accurate and authentic? Is everything in here? Because there's a lot of, is everything to be taken literally? And, you know, why does it seem like there's, there's some things that we follow and then I read some things and it seems like we don't follow those? Try to address some of those issues and reality is I'm, I'm not able to address all of those things, but what I've been trying to do is help you see that the doubts that people sometimes have concerning Scripture, they can be addressed. They, they can be answered. You can't have confidence in this. And as we wrap up our series today, I want to encourage you and I want to ask you to really lean into this, to, to listen. I, I'll probably share some things that maybe you've never heard. I'm going to answer some questions that you've always had, but I'm going to share them answering away with some things you, you've never heard before. And, and what I'm going to share with you, for, for me, it's really one of the greatest reasons that I have confidence in God's Word. 
It's one of the primary reasons that I trust what is in here is accurate. So I want to read to you a verse of Scripture. It's always my custom as we get into this to, to start with Scripture. So if you have your Bibles and want to follow along, you can. Uh, I'm going to read from not this, because this, this is the King James. So um, I just thought I'd spare everybody uh, some King James English. But I wanted to show you the Bible. So I'm, I'm going to read off the screen. This is from the Common English Bible. And it's in 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 9 is where I want to begin. So you can put it on the screen. Paul's writing. He says, God is the one who saved and called us with the holy calling. This wasn't based on what we've done, but it was based on his own purpose and grace that he gave us in Christ Jesus before time began. We're in this season called Ancient Future Now. Before time began, God knew his purpose for you. He knew his plan for you. It says, now his grace is revealed through the appearance of our Savior, Christ Jesus, ancient future now. He destroyed death and brought life and immortality into clear focus through the good news. I was appointed a messenger, an apostle, and a teacher of this good news. So Paul knew. He's like, he, he knows his role. It's his job. He's declaring the gospel, the good news, the word of God. This is also why I'm suffering. Just throw that out there, that sometimes God's plan for you doesn't mean that everything is going to be lollipops and roses, that (laughs) being appointed by God means that there's going to be some challenges you face along the way. This is why I'm suffering the way I do, but I'm not ashamed, not embarrassed about it, not concerned about it. I know the one in whom I've placed my trust. I'm convinced that God is powerful enough to protect what he has placed in my trust until that day. And just as a side note, if you're a Christian, and I've been speaking primarily to Christians in this series, not trying to convince a skeptic, just trying to strengthen the Christian, part of having faith in Christ, part of having faith in the Bible, is that you recognize if you can trust Jesus, if you can trust the fact that God sent his son, he made himself a man, born of a woman, then you can trust that God is powerful enough to protect what he has placed in the care to get us the word of God. You can trust that God watched over his word to make sure that what we have is accurate. Let's go to the next verse. It's my main verse for today. Hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you heard from me with the faith and love that are in Christ. Protect this good thing that has been placed in your trust through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Let me read that one more time. Hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you heard from me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. I want to talk to you today about holding patterns. Holding patterns. That's the title of this message if you're taking notes. and Everybody knows that the people who really love Jesus take notes. So just look at your neighbor. Like, do you really love Jesus? Um, hey, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But I, I do encourage you, uh, note takers are history makers. You, you want to you change the world. You want to be effective. It's good to remember some of the stuff. And I'm going to be talking about some things. You might, what did you say? I just, just want to encourage you to, to engage with this today. Because the truth is, these messages have been a little bit like school, at least for me. I, I've felt 
It's a different kind of preaching than I, than I normally do. Normally, I like to have a subject. We're going to study this together. We're going to look to God's Word. We're going to show you what it says, the context, how it applies to your life. And for this, I felt like, okay, um, let me take you to school. That's why we got, like, the graph paper and the little, you know, formulas. It's just, it, it feels very educational. And um, truthfully, it's been a kind of a challenge. Like, normally when I write a sermon, my, my custom, I, I usually put about eight pages of notes together. That's enough. kind of got a flow with that to, to give you something. And for these, I find myself writing, and I'm writing, like, 20 pages and 25 pages. And I'm like, okay, nobody wants to hear that. And so I'm trying to, like, con- condense all this in- into a way that-, that helps you with it. And, you know, it would be a lot easier if I was just giving you the information. But I'm not interested in giving you information. Really what I'm after is impartation. I, I want you to receive from God in this. I want you to have a supernatural confidence that I can trust God's Word. And so, you know, we'll look at a lot of Scripture today. We'll, we'll look at some different things. But I, ju- I just want to encourage you to-, to jump in with this because... If we don't know the basics, th- these fundamental things, we'll never be able to move on and grow into what God has for us. The writer of Hebrews, he says this in Hebrews 6.1. To the Jewish believers, he says, I'd like to move beyond these basic principles. I, I want us to move beyond the basics and into maturity. But the implication is that, that they can't. They hadn't grasped these basics yet. And see, the challenge is if we don't get these things, we will always be in a holding pattern. A holding pattern. You know what that is, right? Like, you ever been traveling? You're on the plane, and the pilot comes on and is like, you know, excuse me, ladies and gentlemen, looks like we're going to have to be in a bit of a holding pattern. Be on the tarmac for three hours. Has that ever happened to you? You can't take off. You're just grounded. Sometimes you're in the air. And you're just circling. And you're like, why? You know, ever been in a Christian life? You're just, why can I not get past this? It just seems like I'm circling around the same issue. Same issue. Well, you've got to grasp the basics to move on to maturity. Holding patterns. Well, that's not really the holding pattern that Paul was talking about. When Paul's writing to Timothy, he's got a different concept in mind. He says, hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you heard from me. Paul's saying, there's a pattern of truth that you have to hold on to if you're going to be productive and effective as a Christian. To follow Christ is to follow his pattern. In fact, the next series that we're doing... I'm talking exactly about this idea of following. And I know this seems obvious, this seems so fundamental, seems so basic, so primary, but you need to understand that patterns are fundamental to how truth is established in our life. I'm not talking just spiritually. I mean practically. The base of all learning is can we follow a pattern? Now, you might not know this, but my wife, Marissa, she has her degree in elementary education. And what that means is that when we had our children, our firstborn son, Reese, she was determined to make sure that he was going to get the best start possible, didn't trust anybody else to educate him, you know, so she's going to buy the books and going to help him and get him 
uh, set to be successful as he sets out to school. So what she did, you know, she didn't start with a textbook, didn't even start with flashcards. She started with something like this. Ever seen this before? It's a tracing book. It wasn't this exactly, but it was kind of like this. In fact, it was like a, a dry erase wipe type book. But so, you know, there's in here, you start with basic tracing. They have shapes. And just like this is a triangle. That's what it looks like. And then, you know, draw the triangle. And this is a circle. And this is a square. And then they kind of, after that, they stop. And they want you to do it on their own. Anybody seen this before? And so I remember, you know, I don't always tell stories about Reese because he's 16 now, but I wanted to, to bring it back to Reese. I remember when he was starting out learning to, to trace. And um, there would be like this shape in the book. And it would say, this is a triangle. It's good. Yeah. It's like Sesame Street. This is a triangle. And he would go and he would draw the triangle and do a good job. That's great. Then he'd turn the page and there'd be like one of these shapes and be, this is a square. square. Good job. Okay. And so he would, you guys have passed basic, you know, kindergarten. So he would draw the square and like, good job, Reese. And then what would happen with this particular book is he would turn the page and it would be blank. And it would say, now draw a triangle. Now draw a square. Now draw a circle. So I remember <laughs> he, he turned the page. It was blank. And it said, draw a square. And this is what he drew. And I said, he's three years old. I said, hey, Reese, that's, that's great. What did you draw? Square. Square, Dad. I drew a square. I said, no, no, that's, that's not a square. That's a triangle. No, Dad, it's square. I drew a square, Dad. Square. I said, no, Reese, that's, that's a, a triangle. I said, no, it's a square. It's a square, Dad, square. I said, look, Marissa Jr., <laughs> would you quit arguing with me? <laughs> that is not... A square. It's a triangle. Now, why was I able to know that that is a triangle and not a square? Because there was a pattern that I could follow. And what you need to know is that patterns set a precedent. Patterns set a precedent. The, the great thing about a pattern is it creates a template to follow. It keeps you from error because it gives you a reference point does this follow the pattern? And what I want you to see is that the Bible and what we believe about the Bible didn't just come together as a bunch of random events, random ideas, random words, random writings. There was a pattern that was laid out from the beginning for us to follow. Let's look at some scripture. 1 Thessalonians 1, 5 through 7, Paul's writing to the Thessalonian church. This is what he says. The good news that we brought to you, the gospel, this message, it did not come to you in words only. Well, just some words. No, it also came with power. It also came with the Holy Spirit. And get this, with much certainty. How can we be confident of that? Well, so you know the sort of men we became among you. We became examples for your sake. And you followed the pattern set you by us 
and not just by us, but also by the master, talking about Jesus, after you had received the message amid severe persecution and yet with the joy with the Holy Spirit gives. So that you became a pattern to all the believers throughout Macedonia and Greece. For it was not only from you that the master's message sounded forth from Macedonia and Greece, but everywhere your faith in God has become known so that it is unnecessary for us to say anything about it. In other words, this Thessalonian church was so good at following the pattern that Paul had set out that he got from Jesus that others who heard of their faith and saw their example, Paul said, you know what? You're so good at following. You're so good at, at copying. You're so good at mimicking what we've set out for you to do that we don't have to come and personally impart the gospel. Others are picking it up from the pattern that you've set. He didn't just say this to the Thessalonian church, though. He also told the Corinthian church. He actually starts it out in 1 Corinthians 11, 1. He says, copy me as I copy Christ. In verse 2, he says, now I praise you, I commend you, I celebrate you because you're remembering me. You're remembering everything I taught you, my instruction, and you hold firmly to the traditions just as I handed them down to you. In other words, Paul had a metric and a methodology that he used to establish churches. He wasn't just winging it. When he would go in, he had some very specific things that he would pass down that he got from Jesus, that Jesus passed down to his disciples. This is important because one of the primary challenges that people have with Scripture is they'll say, you can't really believe the Bible because the Bible didn't even exist for 400 years after the time of Jesus. It's a common challenge. Let me tell you that is patently untrue is verifiably untrue. Now, generally what people mean when they say that, they're referring to two things. They're referring to a council. I'll talk about that later in the message, Council of Nicaea. And they're also referring to the fact that the Bible, as a book, the oldest copy in existence that we have is from the fourth century. Do you want to know why that is? It's because the Codex, which is where we get our common book from, did not exist until the fourth century. But the New Testament documents that is in the very Bible that you have was in existence. Think about this. If you've been coming to church for a year and I've been asking you to bring a Bible with you every week and through the series and I've been bringing the Bible, but if you've been coming up for a year before the series, would you come away with the idea that we don't believe the Bible? Well, it's understood. I might not open this up every week, but I'm reading Scripture off of this. But there's no mistaking what we refer to as Scripture. There's no mistaking what we value and esteem as Scripture. And what I'm trying to help you understand is, yes, there was not a book with pages until the fourth century. But people understood what the Bible was. They understood what Scripture was. Now, I mean, we engage with Scripture different now than we did 20 years ago. Now we read it off our phone. Before, if you want to take the Bible with you, you had to have one of these. Now you carry it with you everywhere you go. So there was an understanding that these Scriptures in the New Testament were the Word of God and that they were treated as the Word of God going back to the very beginning. And I want to tell you where this challenge comes from because if you encounter this challenge, you need to know its origin two places. It comes from bad scholarship 
meaning looking at bad data, bad interpretations of bad data, um, bad, wrong uh, interpretation of history, or there's been new discoveries since some of these ideas were formed. Looking at bad data, bad, bad scholarship, and the other places, fiction. Fiction. Like there's this old movie, uh, The Da Vinci Code. And in that, the, the thought that comes from that is that the Bible was not around until a group of men got together and they voted on what they wanted in Scripture and what they didn't want in Scripture. And the whole motive behind that was to control people. That's, that's fiction. And the idea comes from bad scholarship. Now, there was a council, Council of Nicaea, 325 A.D., but it wasn't a bunch of church leaders that got together to vote on what they wanted and didn't want to, to control people. The council simply affirmed and recorded what was already accepted. That's what's helpful about a pattern. See, a, a pattern, going back to this, it lets us know what to copy and it lets us know what to cast out. If it doesn't follow the pattern, we reject it. When it follows the pattern, we recognize it, we replicate it. If it doesn't fit the pattern, it's not worth keeping close. You see examples of this again in Scripture, in the writings of Paul. Let's look at a couple of them. Paul said, my dear family, I want you all together to watch what I do and copy me. You've got us as a pattern of behavior. Pay careful attention to people who follow it. Now, so it lets you know what to copy. It's what a pattern does. It lets you know what to cast out. To the Thessalonians, who were so good at following the pattern, he wrote them another letter. He said, we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother walking disorderly and not according to the tradition which they receive from us. For you yourselves know how you should be imitating us, because we were not disorderly among you, not because we don't have the right, but in order that we might give ourselves as a pattern to you so that you may be imitating us. He's saying, we were so careful about the way we lived our lives and the things that we told you because we know that we were demonstrating for you a pattern to follow. He goes on in the same passage, verse 14, says, if anyone does not obey our word through this letter, take note of these people, don't associate with them in order that they may be ashamed. In other words, the pattern brings protection. Let you know what's right and what to follow and what not to follow. The pattern shows what was inspired by God, what isn't inspired by God. The pattern shows what is Christian behavior and what isn't Christian behavior. So what were the patterns? I want to give you three. Three, three patterns. They're not necessarily going to be on the screen, but three patterns that the early church would have followed in their teaching and in the instruction and this is where it gets a, a little bit classroom, but bear with me. I'll try and go through it quick. I just have one main point that I want to give you today. I'm going to save it till the end, though, so you have to be paying really good attention. So three patterns. The New Testament church had three patterns of authority. There was the Old Testament canon, and we spent some time talking about that, talked about it last week. The Old Testament canon was already established 300 years before the birth of Jesus. It was intact in its form. Not in a book, mind you, but in scrolls. It was known 
This is the Old Testament scripture. So you see this in the writings of Paul. They referred to the Old Testament as truth. Jesus referred to it as truth. The second place of authority was the recorded words of Jesus. Recorded words of Jesus. A lot of people don't realize this, but a form of the recorded words of Jesus would have been in circulation immediately after Jesus' death. What's the reason for that? Well, Jesus was a rabbi, and it was customary for rabbis to have disciples. And it was customary for disciples of rabbis to do two things. Write down the teachings of their rabbis. I mean, I did just say, hey, take notes, right, before we started this. Not that I'm a rabbi, but I'm just saying, like, the principle, right? You're taking notes. It's customary for disciples to write down the teaching of the rabbi and to memorize the words of their rabbi. They would memorize portions of scripture and memorize the words. So this was a common thing in the time of Jesus, from the time of 300 BC, actually. So Christians from the beginning, who were all Jews, would have practiced this in regards to the words of Jesus. His words would have been written down as he was teaching. They would have been committed to memory. And you see this evidenced even in the writings of Paul. Because there's a number of Paul's letters that we have before the Gospels were written. Let me just read you a couple examples. 1 Thessalonians 4.15, Paul says, This agrees with what the Lord said. When the Lord comes, many of us will still be alive. We will tell you that we will certainly not go up before those who have died. What's he saying? He says, hey, you know the words of Jesus. What I'm telling you agrees with the recorded words of Jesus. It agrees with what the Lord said. They would have known. Let's look at another one in Acts 20, 35. It says, in everything I've shown you that by working hard, we must help the weak. In this way, we remember the Lord Jesus' words. It's more blessed to give than to receive. So the teachings of Jesus would have began to be formed, go into circulation shortly after the resurrection of Jesus. And during that time frame, from shortly after Jesus' resurrection, the birth of the church, to 60 AD, when the first gospels were written, what you have is that they were being collected, they were being organized, they were being verified, corroborated, validated, edited to make sure all the other, uh, all the other uh, relevant historical information, narrative that went with it, to present the gospel. So that's the Old Testament canon verified. The recorded words of Jesus was a pattern. And then the apostolic writings. Now we've spent some time in the series talking about the apostolic writings. What I mean by that it's, it's the rest of the writings in the New Testament where we have, like, Paul's letters and we have other epistles and, and James and 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, Titus, all these different things. The apostolic writings. What we know is that from the beginning, the apostles were given authority by Jesus to bear witness to Jesus and his teachings and about his resurrection. Now, Paul might not have known when he was writing these letters, that it would end up in a Bible like this that we would still be looking at today. But make no mistake that Paul knew absolutely, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that he was appointed by God, we looked at that verse, to declare the gospel, the words of God, he spoke authoritatively on it. 
and that what he was writing wasn't just to a person. It was to be shared. It was doctrine. He said things like this in 1 Thessalonians 5.27, I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. In Colossians 4.16, he says, after this letter has been read to you, see that it's also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. What What I'm trying to help you see is that we didn't just stumble into this. It's not like, oh, through time, I kind of found these letters, and they talked about God, and then, you know, people, they were believing this stuff, and they said, hey, we got to codify this somehow, so let's just get together, and let's all have a vote, and let's decide what's beneficial for us, and the stuff we don't like, we're going to take it out. That's not the way this happened. What you need to understand is that as early as 100 A.D., why is that date relevant? Because Revelation, the last book in the New Testament, was written in 90 A.D. So as early as 100 A.D., the New Testament books, as you know it in your Bible that you've been bringing with you, was seen as the accepted words of God. How do we know that? Because there's a clear line that you can trace. I want to show you this by introducing you to a term called the church fathers. Probably if you've grown up in a church like ours, you've never heard people talk about church fathers. Who were the church fathers? Church fathers were disciples of the disciples. So you have Jesus and the 12 disciples. But then after Jesus' resurrection and the church was born, you understand that there's other church leaders. The disciples had disciples, and those disciples had disciples. These aren't just, you know, imaginary people. We can find them through history. And so I want to give you three. There's lots we could look at, but I want to give you three to help you understand this. So the disciples had disciples, and they had disciples. And one of these was a guy by the name of Clement of Rome. Clement of Rome. He's just called Clement of Rome, just like I would be called Justin of Lawrence. Uh, it's, it's not his last name. It's just how he's referred to. And he was alive from 35 A.D. to 99 A.D. Cool thing about Clement, you probably didn't know this. He's actually mentioned in the Bible. I'll show you the scriptures in Philippians 4.3. Paul wrote, he said, I'm asking you, my true companion, help these women since they've contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, We don't know a lot about Clement, but there are some things we do know. We know that he had personal contact with Peter, personal contact with Paul. We also know he studied under the apostles. Additionally, he wrote some letters. Why did he write letters? That's how they communicated. They're keeping the church organized, sharing truth. And in one of his letters to the Corinthian church, the same church that Paul started, he says this. You've looked at the Holy Scriptures, which are true, which were given by the Holy Spirit. You know that nothing unrighteous or falsified is written in them. He's talking about the Bible. And specifically about Paul's writing, he said, what he wrote was by the Spirit of God. Now understand, you probably never heard of Clement. That's fine. Clement's letter was not inspired. It was not God's Word. But it would be like if I wrote a book, and I'm referencing Scripture, like, you understand how I think about Scripture and how I regard Scripture. That's what, what, why these letters are helpful. Well, let me tell you about another guy. You're going to love this guy. 
This guy's name was Polycarp. Say Polycarp, just so I know you're with me. Polycarp, yeah. That's why there's like the Jesus fish, it's after Polycarp. Now I'm just, I made that up. That's not true. Um, don't, that's, forget that. Strike that from the record. Uh, Polycarp, though, he's an he's a early church father, and he was a disciple of the apostle John. John, the disciple who Jesus loved. John, who wrote the gospel of John. John, who wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. John, who wrote Revelation. Polycarp was a disciple of John. And he also had personal contact with many people who'd seen Christ. He's alive from 69 AD to 155 AD. He was a disciple of disciple. He wrote a letter to the Philippian church, Philippian church that Paul started. He said this, Paul taught the word of truth accurately and reliably. Study his letters diligently so that you can be built up in the faith you've received. So again, you can look that up, verify that. What I'm trying to show you is that the early church accepted the New Testament scriptures we have, just like the New Testament writers accepted the Old Testament scriptures that they had. These church fathers looked upon these writings with the absolute inspired authority and truth as the Word of God. But it doesn't stop there. Polycarp, the guy with a great name, he had a disciple. He was a teacher of a guy named Irenaeus. Why is Irenaeus so important? Well, he was a prolific writer. He wrote a lot. And we've got all sorts of fragments of different things that he's written. But the cool thing with Irenaeus is that he wrote two works that are completely intact that we have. One is called Against Heresies. And then there's another one said Proof of Apostolic Preaching. Why is he important? Well, because in his writings, he quoted from every book that is in your New Testament. And we could go on and on. These are just three. There's many church fathers we could look at. But what I'm trying to show you, this is the point that I want you to get, is that we know what's in the Bible is true because we can trace it. We can trace it. It started with Jesus. He set a pattern of example for his disciples. The Apostle Paul, when he would go to start a church, he didn't just wing it. He says very explicitly, follow my pattern. Recognize the pattern. Copy my pattern. Those who don't follow the pattern, avoid them. The church fathers, you can see it, quoting them. The disciples of the disciples, quoting them. There's a pattern for us to follow. The pattern sets the precedent. I can see what's wrong. I can see what's wrong because I know what's right. Not, not based on something I feel, but because there's a clear pattern for me to follow. We're not just talking about squares and triangles. We're talking about scripture and truth. I know what's true because I can trace it. Let's look at this verse one more time. Hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you heard from me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. How can we have confidence in scripture? Because all throughout history, the followers of Jesus have been holding to the patterns as they were taught. 
That would be my instruction to you. Don't try and deviate. Hold to the pattern. Recognize the truth. You'll see God's word work in your life.